listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this noon hour. Plenty to get to today. I want to just quickly say this, though. If your social media is full of cats, I mean more cats than normal, because we all know the Internet is built on cats, you may know, you may have heard that today is National Cat Day, an awareness day to raise awareness of homeless cats. It's National Cat Day, except for it's not. That's fake news, folks. It's U.S. National Cat Day. Canadian Cat Day was on August 8th. All right, so like, you know, in Canada... Cats are deadly animals! Exactly. Let's just move on. It's American National Cat Day. No Canadian cats were harmed in the making of this public service announcement. I got booze news. The Ford government pledging more changes to alcohol access in Ontario. That wants me that beer. Yeah, now you can get that 24 hours a day at the airport. <clears throat> it's 3 a.m. I just flew in from Zurich. Going to get myself a cocktail. I, I mentioned this because, and earlier just on this radio station, the uh, minister was on, the associate minister was on, uh, uh, Prebing Sakara was on, and I just make this point because... We've had this entire announcement yesterday of some changes to alcohol rules, and all of it seems reasonable. Reasonable. And a bunch of it is like, well, why haven't we done that before? And I point that out because it's a change in tone. Again, a change in tone from the Ford government and and a much more professional attitude. No talk of buck of beer or anything else like that. Plus, you can uh, now bring dogs onto a patio. That's part of the actual rule changes. Proposed rule changes include restaurant owners and operators will be allowed to decide for themselves whether to let customers bring dogs onto the patio. So here on American National Cat Day, good news for dog owners in Canada, in Ontario. See how that works out? I want to quickly talk about this story that is making the round. You may have seen it, this video, this incredible video that shows a guy in the back of a police cruiser and a gun drops out of his pants. A gun drops out. And now there's an investigation into what in the world was this all about. And Toronto Police have just now, just shortly ago, just uh, released this news release that said, identifies the man, says all of the things that he's charged with. The Toronto Police issued a safety notice to officers to inform them of the method of the firearm concealment utilized in this situation. In other words, let's maybe search a guy, make sure he's got a gun. Or make sure he doesn't have a gun before we put him in the back of the car. And then the Toronto Police Chief Saunders, quote, I have ordered a full investigation into the leak of the in-car camera evidence, which is a clear breach of protocol and procedure. I don't really think that's the biggest problem the police have. I think Chief Saunders... I think you might want to look at something else, maybe the procedures and whether or not they were followed. I don't know about the leak of the video being the most important thing. Still with the police, we have a big trial underway today. A Toronto police officer and his brother will go on trial, are on trial today, facing charges after a young black man was severely beaten in Whitby. That case made headlines three years ago. Michael Thoreau, a Toronto police constable, and Christian Thoreau, a civilian, are charged with one count each of aggravated assault and also with obstructing justice. 
The brothers are accused of beating DeFonte Miller, who was 19 years old at the time. He was beaten with a metal pipe on December 28, 2016. In the Thixon Road and Williamson-Stevenson Drive area, residential area of Whitby, east of Toronto. The officer was off-duty at the time. Now, none of the charges against these brothers have been proven yet in court, but going into court this morning, here is Kingsley Gilliam, who is with the Black Action Defense Committee, talking about the case. Brutal incident where this young man in the Christmas season was walking to a friend's house and he was chased by these two white men, uh, one of them with a pipe, and they beat him to pulp and including beating his eye out his head. And uh, as a result of that, Priya Sam is a Global News reporter who is covering this case and was speaking to people heading into court today and joins me on the line. Hi, Priya. Good afternoon, Alan. This case not only talks on allegations of assault, but also obstruction of justice. Tell me about that angle. That's right, Alan. And uh, the brothers did both plead not guilty to all of the charges against them this morning. Uh, The obstruction of justice uh, charges come after uh, they're accused of being dishonest, basically, uh, in filing their police report the night these incidents, uh, this incident happened. Uh, And what we heard this morning from the Crown uh, in his opening statement, he said he expects there will be discrepancies in the recounting of events leading up to the assault. Uh, So he says DeFonte Miller will testify he was walking with friends when the Terrio brothers chased and attacked him without reason. Uh, meanwhile, the Crown is expected to say that the brothers chased Miller uh, and his friends after seeing them attempt to break into vehicles. Uh, that obstruction of justice charge also notes uh, that the brothers claimed that Miller had a weapon uh, at the time and uh, as was later found out that that was not true. So kind of still a, a bit of a gray area there in terms of uh, what actually happened that both sides seem to have different stories, but surely that will come out in court this week. Beyond the actual incident itself is what happened in the aftermath and what has outraged so many in the black community was that this was never reported to the SIU. That's right, yes. It was months later before it was reported to the SIU, and that only happened uh, because DeFonte Miller's lawyer took it upon himself to do that. And also, in that happening, it came out uh, that the brother's father uh, was a senior detective with the Toronto Police Professional Standards Unit as well. So uh, certainly a bit of a soap opera there, given uh, the ranks of all of the people who were involved. And and you hear the word, and of course we will reiterate once again that none of these charges have been proven in court, but you will hear the word cover-up used repeatedly by people who say that this is systemic. It is beyond just this actual incident. Exactly. And the people we spoke to outside of court this morning, uh, that is exactly what they had to say. They said this is not just about this one incident. It is not just about this one assault. Uh, But instead, they believe that there is a systemic problem here that involves racism uh, and also police protecting their own. So it will certainly be interesting to see what the result of this case is uh, and if any changes come to the way law enforcement deals with these situations. There, there have been some changes. Already some police departments have changed the way they report to SIU. Uh, and then there is also an investigation, which I understand is on hold now, an investigation into the conduct of the Toronto Police Department? That's right, yes. And it appears that they're waiting for the court case to finish before they continue their investigation. Priya Sam is a global news reporter. Join me on the line. Thank you so much, Priya. Anytime.
Welcome back to the program. A deadly day on Toronto roads on Monday. An 83-year-old woman and a 74-year-old man, both dying after being hit by drivers in separate incidents. The first incident uh, happened in the St. Clair Avenue in Runnymede Road area just after 10 a.m. The second one was earlier in the morning when a 74-year-old man was killed at Eglinton Avenue East and Don Mills. What is behind the carnage on our streets? Mayor John Tory held a press conference this morning and had some strong words about it, and I want your take. I want to hear from you, especially the drivers out there, about what is behind all of this carnage. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Please, if you are calling, hands-free, do not text, do not look at your phone, do not drive distracted. I have new research about distracted driving straight ahead in this segment that we'll add to as well, and our understanding as to what is happening on our streets and why it has become so dangerous, especially for elderly pedestrians. I want to take you now to John Tory's press conference earlier this morning, where he talked about all of the measures being taken by the city of Toronto to try and protect pedestrians and to try and protect vulnerable road users, speed limits, red light cameras, so on and so forth. None of it seems to have stopped the carnage. None of it has seemed to slow the numbers of tragedies that are happening. Here's John Tory on why. But in the end, you can take all of those measures. You can lower every speed limit. You can change every intersection. You can put in red light cameras. But if people are not going to be taking the adequate care when they're turning a corner, for example, at any intersection, let alone a major one like this, you're going to have things like this happen. And that is John Torrey referring to the tragic accident at Don Mills in Eglinton yesterday where a vehicle turning right hit a man and killed an elderly gentleman. I'm going to take your calls in just a couple of moments on this, but I want to play one more thing from John Tory here where he puts the blame squarely in one place. We've got to have people smarten up. We've got to have people start to be more sensitive to the fact that there are more pedestrians. Frankly, there are more older pedestrians nowadays because of demographics, and that it is the principal onus that rests on drivers to change their behavior. Again, John Tory putting the onus on drivers to behave to change their behavior. I'm going to get to you drivers in just a moment, but before that, I want to share some of these new research numbers from the Traffic Injury Research Foundation that says concern amongst people about distracted driving has risen dramatically, up to 75% now, almost 76% in 2018, and that is up from 33% back in 2004. Most Canadians appear to understand that texting and driving is incredibly dangerous. 56% incre- increase now in 2018 to 2018 numbers to 7.5% of the number of people who reported texting while driving. Now, 7.5%, you say that seems low, but remember, this is self-reporting. So alarmingly high for people just to say, yeah, well, that's a, I do that. 7.5% people say, yes, I do that. That is up from 4.8% back in 2010. Karen Bowman is Communications Director at the Traffic Injury Research Foundation and joins me on the line. Karen, hello. We're working on getting Karen on the line. And as we do that, 
we will actually go now to some of your calls here. And I want to go to Toronto to Chris. Chris, you're on the line. Your chance to say, to respond to John Tory and John Tory saying it's the behavior of drivers that much must change. Your reaction to that? Hello, sir. How are you doing today? I'm good. Good. Uh, I agree. Um, I drive every single day. I start work about 4.30 in the morning. I drive a milk truck, and I'm usually done about 10.30, 11 in the morning. I was in that area. I'm basically there every day going through there. I know it's dark. You're talking and about that, Don Mills. You're talking Don about Mills Don Mills. Mills. I, I know it's, they need probably more lighting, but it, you are 100% right. It's the drivers. I see it every single day. Every day. You know what I mean? Of just, this, it's not even just distracting, it's just aggressive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're ready to push your ass in front of the next car. You know what I mean? And, it's, it's, it, and I agree with Tori. So, this is the way it is. This is the way I think. Right? If you, if you don't know how to drive, get off the road. Just get off the road. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. I want to just move on quickly to Richard. And, Richard, you're putting the blame on John Tory for this somehow? I'm, I'm saying that Mr. Tory is taking look both ways out of the equation in, and uh, where pedestrians are concerned, who you see texting with their head down. I mean, we need more Don Cherry. Keep your head up. Because there's a lot of people that just take it for granted that it's a crosswalk and, and no one's going to, everyone's going to stop for them. So that's a very big issue. Um, Mr. Tory has been put, been transferring blame for a lot of things, whether it's guns on hunters or. Well, let's or stick with the subject at matter or, here, yeah. the subject matter at hand here. Yeah, and, and, and but it's just, it's just if it's not one thing, it's another where he's transferring. But at blame. the end of the day, the the blame lies with the driver. Do you not agree? Uh, it, it, given given what situation if someone steps out in front of a vehicle on and they don't have the right of way it's their fault if it's if they have the right of way uh, they they still could end up dead just in, in this particular light. case it, it appears this man was in the crosswalk and we have seen that but and, i do take your that, point thank you richard it. i do pray, take your point carson i want to go to you you drive a truck there has been a lot of talk about truck drivers and clamping down on big vehicles especially in highly dense areas your reaction to that Good afternoon, Alan. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Okay. For a week, I've been kind of advocating and agitating on this said program about the need, and I always hear Mr. Tory talk about cars, cars, cars. It is now dark later and dark earlier. And I even Saturday, I'm, I'm driving today. I'm parked, but I'm driving today. Every person I see is dressed full clad from head to toe in black. Well, that is that is the style of the times if you live in Toronto. But I do take your point, Carson. Thank you very much. There is responsibility there. Is there not, on the behalf of pedestrians, to try and be a little bit more visible, be aware of their surroundings? Although at the end of the day, you know, when there's a collision, when there's a interaction between a vehicle and a pedestrian, only one loses and loses their life often. And I think that's the point. And I want to get back to what I was talking about earlier about distracted drivers. And I'll come back to you, callers, so stay with us. But Karen Bowman is now on the line, and she's Communications Director at Traffic Injury Research Foundation. And hi, Karen. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. When we looked at these numbers, this is the one that jumped out at me. And uh, your, your report points it out that we have a 56% increase in just eight years in the number of people who are willing to say, yes, I text and drive. Why? Well, I think there's, well, for one thing, there's more of us on the road every year, even regardless of how small or large your community is. When you look around you, we're seeing year by year, there's just more people using the roads. 
And when there's the added complication of distraction, for the most part, people in general tend to overestimate their driving ability, just as a a general um, self-assessment. Everybody thinks they're a better driver than they are. So everybody who's calling in here is saying, well, it's not me, it's not me. It's generally that they think they're better drivers than they are. Is that your point? Yeah. I mean, what we're looking at is an issue of it's not me, it's you. And the concern behind that is clearly when you're seeing, even anecdotally, let alone what's driven by the, the reported data, anecdotally, when you're looking around you, if it's not me, it's you, why do we see so many people engaging in distractions behind the wheel? And what do you take from this? I mean, because your report points out that, you know, concern about drinking and driving has decreased significantly from 80% down to now 64.5% is the number. And now it seems that distracted driving is a greater concern than actual impaired driving for people. Well, some jurisdictions, um, Ontario is one of them, is reporting that distracted driving fatalities have exceeded those of drunk driving fatalities. So when you just look at those numbers across the board, of course, that is extremely concerning. Um, distracted driving, though, is a, is a complex issue because distraction falls into four categories. It's not simply the consumption of, of alcohol. Distraction is visual, manual, auditory, and cognitive. So it's a much more complex um, road safety issue, if you like, to try and address and get people to self-identify the behaviors they're engaging in that's not only increasing their risk, but other people's. And the other big difference between alcohol-impaired fatal crashes and distracted driving-related fatal crashes is that in alcohol-impaired fatal crashes, it's usually the alcohol-impaired driver who loses their life. But in distracted driving fatal crashes, it's not the distracted driver who loses their life. It's usually a passenger or another road user. Karen Bowman is Communications Director for the Traffic Injury Research Foundation. Fascinating new numbers and terrifying, quite frankly, out today. Karen, thanks for being on the program. You're very welcome, Alan. Thank you. I want to get back to the callers real quick here because whether it's distracted, whether it's behavior, do you believe as a driver that there's too much onus on you or at the end of the day, you're the one that's driving a you know several-ton vehicle? So should that, is that exactly where the focus needs to be? Doug's in Port Perry. What do you think, Doug? Hey, great topic. A little disappointed with Karen. But what we need to do is, it's everybody's in blame here. Not the two elderly people that just passed away. We've been saying about drinking and driving. York Region, it's huge up there. But going on with your cells and texting and that, why don't they just make it where it's going to hurt? If you're caught driving and you're texting, you lose your license for life. We've given people enough warning, have we not? So you're thinking that it should be more punitive? Yeah, go big or stop talking about it because we we keep every time somebody gets killed, which is happening way too many times, we get the mayor up saying this and that. We have people walking the streets, texting and, and looking at their smartphones. What we need is a common sense day. Well, when you start seeing elderly people getting killed, uh, the fines and, and that, people just laugh at you. You lose a few points and you pay for it. Yeah, you make a good point there, Doug, and we and we have seen that. Sorry, I turned off my mic and started turning off, Doug. Um, we have seen that, you know, in, in these horrible incidents where, where people do get charged, and, and there's no evidence that anybody would get charged in those two incidents from yesterday, is that, you know, you end up with a several hundred dollar fine. You've taken someone's life. 
and, and that's the way the system works. And I, I understand what Doug is saying about, you know, toughen up the laws, but I, I, I think there are, you know, common sense needs to keep in there as well. I mean, you cannot say to someone, you can never drive again. That takes away their, you know, ability to earn a living. I, I don't know if that is exactly what we do, but obviously something has to be done here. And I, I take... I, I take the point of so many callers today, so many drivers who say, look, this has got to be more than just saying, drivers, you got to change your behavior. There's got to be more to it. Straight ahead, Halloween fails. Celebrity Halloween screw-ups that you can learn from. That is straight ahead here on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has gone to Rideau Hall to meet with the Governor General. Canadian press reporter Terry Pedwell says Trudeau paid Julie Payette a visit to confirm he intends to form government. The visit wasn't quite shrouded in secrecy. After all, the Prime Minister's office did issue a notice that the event was taking place, but no time was given for the visit, and the media not allowed inside. There is no word at this point how long the meeting lasted or what was said. Trudeau's Liberals, of course, won 157 seats in the federal election. That's just 13 short of a majority. Trudeau's got to survive a confidence vote on a speech from the throne that lays out his plans for governing during the second mandate. What do you figure they talked about? Justin Trudeau and Julie Payette. Halloween costumes? I don't know. If you're Julie Payette, do you go as anything other than an astronaut? You're like, well, I got, let's go get the astronaut thing out of the... Go, Julie, what are you going to ask for Halloween? Uh, astronaut, obvi. Well, it'd have to be sexy, too. Now, stop that. That's not allowed. That is the governor general that is disrespectful. Please. I'm going to call the CRTC on you. Did you catch this yesterday, this whole military dog situation? You know, with the the killing of Mr. Baghdadi. And now it turned out that a dog was injured in the raid. Well, it is being hailed a hero for its part. You know, on the raid on the leader of the Islamic State group, the dog is now resting and recovering. Hero dog at the raid on Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, got hurt, but is doing better. Uh, Slightly wounded and uh, fully uh, recovering. That's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, who says the dog's name is still considered classified. President Trump did tweet a picture of it, though. He is clearly a fan and said so when announcing the raid. A dog. A beautiful dog. A beautiful dog. A talented dog. President talented Trump dog. has sent an invitation to the dog and the dog's handler to the White House. Sherry Preston, ABC News. A beautiful dog. I mean, this is, I tell you what, you work in news for long enough, you see this again and again and again. Some bit of horror, some horrible thing happens in the city. And at the same time, there's like a, a dog needs adoption and everybody's like, oh, the dog. Because that's what, I mean, I don't know why it is, but we seem to be so focused on the animals. I, well, I mean, it's cute. The dog's cute. But uh, Balloon Boy, does anybody remember Balloon Boy? If, you're, if, if you like the, the, the hoaxes, you like the fake news, 
Well, Balloon Boy was one of the OGs, OG fake news, Balloon Boy. Ten years after that hoax in which the boy was believed to be in a balloon and we're all glued to our televisions, as a person who works in TV news, I missed that. (laughs) But here is more on Balloon Boy, who is now speaking out. Falcon Heaney is no longer a little boy. He is a teenager with long hair, talking with ABC's T.J. Holmes a decade after the infamous balloon ride that was it. You are Balloon Boy. I haven't thought about anything, actually. Maybe I should. Falcon and his brothers, none of whom were ever in the balloon at all, are now in a heavy metal band, heard here with a song called No Hoax, referring to the stunt. Their dad, Richard, still claims it wasn't a stunt and still believes he was treated unfairly. The media continues on with the same narrative. Falcon's mother, originally from Japan, says she went along with all of it because she was afraid of being deported. The family lives in Florida now. Sherry Preston, ABC News. Ah, balloon boy. You could go as Balloon Boy for Halloween this year. You could go as Balloon Boy later this week, but nobody would have been like, nobody, I don't get it. It's Balloon Boy, remember? And they're like, dude, you're so like, you're so, I was so 10 years ago. Here is a guide now to help you when you're thinking about your Halloween costume. Do not try to be offensive this year. You know, the world and this country in particular is not in a joking mood right now. So don't, if, and I hate to have to say this, Justin Ling put this on Twitter, and I'm going to, Justin Ling's a, a journalist who works sometimes with the Globe and Mail, and he wrote on Twitter, and I got to agree, I hate to have to say this, and I can't believe I have to say this out loud, but going as Justin Trudeau is not an excuse to put on blackface. That is not, you cannot dress up as the prime minister and say, well, I'm doing blackface and then think, well, well, that's, that's okay. That's not good. Don't do that. Here's a guide of some other offensive costumes. This worn, these worn by celebrities, Heidi Klum in 2008, she had a big Halloween bash. She dressed herself up as the many-armed blue Hindu goddess Kali. Not good. Don't do that. Don't dress up as somebody else's god. You can dress up as your own god, but not somebody else's. Hillary Duff and Jason Walsh in 2016. Duff and her boyfriend went dressed as sexy pilgrim and a North American feathered headdress and all. Native American, pardon me. Sexy pilgrim you could probably get away with. The feathered headdress. Forget no. about it. Exactly. Sean White, dressed up as Simple Jack, the intellectually challenged character from Tropic Thunder, the snowboarding champ, then took down the photo from Instagram and apologized after considerable outrage. Last year, the real housewife Luan de Lesep decided it would be a good idea to dress up as Diana Ross. She blackened her face for that was accused of cultural insensitivity and later apologized. And here's one. Harry Hamlin was dressed up as Sid Vicious at a 2015 Halloween party, but went too hard, went too far, because he actually wore a red T-shirt with a swastika on it. See, that's too much. Some guides there, some do-nots, some danger signs. There are some things not to dress up as for Halloween. Welcome back to the program. In our next segment, we're going to talk about bullying and being a bully. And think back to your school years. Were you bullied or were you a bully?
Now, be honest about it. I mean, obviously, those of us, and I put my hand up amongst those who were bullied, but then I ask, you know, think to myself, well, maybe later in high school. I mean, I didn't never physically assaulted anybody. never could. I was too skinny, too dorky. But, you know, I wasn't the nicest. Does that make me a bully? Now, what if you're a parent? What if you're a parent and you're looking at your children and you think, you know, you got a young son and, you know, you think, well, the way he behaves, does that make him a bully? What do you do about that? Well, the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board unanimously voted last night in support of creating a panel to adopt a recommendation containing a report from the Director of Education. This is all into the recent death of Devin Selvey. that's raised so many concerns in Hamilton about bullying. Devin was fatally stabbed outside his high school earlier this month. Two teenagers now face first-degree murder charges in his death. His mother witnessed the alleged attack on her son, says that Devin endured weeks of bullying before he died. So now there's this panel, which is going to seek feedback from the community and independent experts, and it will try and come up with a way to figure out how to prevent and respond to bullying incidents, and that report is expected in May. Now, Global News Radio Hamilton's Ken Mann was at that meeting. He says that after the meeting, and keep in mind, that report comes out in May, a number of parents said, "Mm, why do we have to wait so long? They made it clear that they're a little bit uh, concerned that this is really just an attempt to sweep everything under the rug in the long term, noting that the recommendations from this panel will not come back to the board until the end of May. And and there's sort of a skepticism that, that there's an attempt to forget or make people forget about this whole thing by then. That is Ken Mann from Global News Radio, who was at that meeting last night. There is going to be a report into what happened in the Selby case. And all of it, of course, so concerning for parents and for kids themselves. And I come back to where I started, which is, how do you know if your kid is a bully? And if you think perhaps your child is, you know, exhibiting that kind of behavior, what do you do about it? Laura Hensley is with Global News Online and joins me in studio. Hey, Laura. Hey, Alan. You filed a story exactly on this. What do the experts tell you? Well, bullying is something that usually happens time and time again. It's repeated behavior. It's targeted behavior. So there is warning signs. The problem is, is that so many parents are in denial when it comes to recognizing whether or not their child is a bully. Many parents don't believe their kid is capable of bullying someone else. So they overlook a lot of the red flags. I've always wondered that, you know, you wonder what was going on at home of the bullies that, you know, when you grew up, when I grew up, I, I mean, I, I, I can think of a couple of the bullies that they, they did not have great home lives and we all knew it in school and kind of suspected that was the reason. Mm-hmm. Home life can be a factor for sure. The experts all said that if you come from an environment where you see this behavior modeled, maybe it's an abusive home or there's a lot of tension going on, you can act out and engage in bullying at school. But that's not necessarily always the case. You know, a lot of kids can just be, you know, going to school and seeing this modeled by older kids. So their home life could be fine, but they're seeing older kids bullying and then they start to engage in that behavior too. So it's really important for parents to have conversations and also be really in tuned into what their kids are acting like. And, and in terms of bullying, and, I, and you make a good point there, is that, you know, sometimes in, in, 
in especially in grade seven, grade eight, when kids are trying to find their different groups and everything, you know, your choices sometimes, you know, you hang up with the bully and do what the bully does or get bullied yourself. Those are sometimes the stark choices you have. Yeah. And I think children, I mean, human nature is to feel included and to be part of the pact. No one likes to feel isolated or left out. So if there's someone modeling this type of behavior and you want to be socially accepted, it's really hard sometimes, especially when your brain is still developing, to recognize that that behavior is wrong and that you shouldn't engage in it because it's harmful. You just, you don't want to be the victim, so you become the perpetrator. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I talk on the show about, you know, the, the way that us parents and educators, we respond to this. We, you know, we do things like, you know, we have pink shirt day and then we, you know, we have friendship benches and all the rest of these things. And I think we keep talking down to kids and we don't really talk to them. And so that's why it doesn't seem like it's really gotten much better. I think one of the common themes that all the experts I spoke to said was that parents need to have ongoing conversations with their kids. It's not enough to have one expert come into the school once a year, one day, once a year. Conversations around bullying have to be ongoing. And if a child is being bullied or doing the bullying themselves, what's going on? What are What's happening beneath the surface? And there needs to be resources in place to help those kids because otherwise the cycle just continues. All right. So you're a parent. You're thinking to yourself, I don't know about Johnny. What do you do? <laughs> Well, first of all, parents have to be honest about their kids' behavior. So many parents, the first time they learn their child is bullying is through a school. So this, the principal might call home and say, Johnny is bullying. And the mom goes, no way, not my Johnny. Mm-hmm. You have to think, okay, is my child engaging in this behavior? And some red flags are, you know, are they combative at home? Are they aggressive with their siblings? What are they acting like with their friends? Do they have sort of, you know, asymmetrical relationships that mean, you know, they're in control of what the group's doing. They're telling their friends what games they're playing. Watch out for those. And, you know, parents also need to make sure that they're modeling good behavior too. If you're engaging in behavior with your friend group or with your spouse, kids pick up on that. Yeah, so obviously you can, you know, if if that's the way you act at home, I get, I joke about this, but I got yelled at the other day because I speak too harshly to Alexa. <laughs> I I yell at Alexa to turn things on and off, and and my wife's like, that's that is bad modeling behavior right there. You shouldn't be shouting at Alexa. And I mean, I joke, but you know, I, kids they are sponges. They pick these things up. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Alexa can't talk back. Well, no, she can, I guess. But <laughs> I think with, with the children, talk them talking back to you and having a conversation, that's the point, right? It's a two-way conversation. So if you talk to your kid about why bullying's wrong, listen to what they have to say, too. Maybe they'll give you some insight as to what's happening at school. Great tips. Laura Hensley is with globalnews.ca, and you can read her piece, What Do You Do If You Think Your Kid Is a Bully? It's online now. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Alan. I have one quick story I want to wrap up with, and this is out of Germany, where police say a funeral in the eastern part of that country ended up on an involuntary drug high when mourners were accidentally served hashish cake. The police said that after the burial, the funeral party went to a restaurant for coffee and cake, as is customary in Germany. You have to have the coffee and the cake. They have to both go together. But after eating the cake, 13 people experienced nausea and dizziness and needed medical treatment. A police investigation now has revealed that the restaurant employee in charge of the cakes had asked her 18-year-old daughter to bake them. Now you know where this goes wrong. 
However, the mother accidentally took the wrong cake from the freezer to the funeral. She took a hash cake that the teenager had made for a different occasion, not a funeral. Police said the 18-year-old is now under investigation. This incident happened back in August, but was not published out of respect for the mourners. You go to a funeral, that is not what you expect to have happen. Thank you.